Revelation uh, 21 and 22, uh, we are, or John, the Apostle John is given a vision of the new heavens and the new earth, which will be consummated at the time of Jesus Christ's uh, return. Uh, Christ will uh, return, uh, this new creation will commence, uh, and the church, the triumphant church of Jesus Christ will be revealed uh, out of heaven. And that's what we have for us in verses 9 through uh, 21, a description of the new Jerusalem or the glorified uh, church of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, We were told back in verse 2 that I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And it is those words which will now be expanded upon uh, from verses 9 through 21. So let's now hear God's word, beginning in Revelation 21 and verse 9. Uh, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates, twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. The street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. This ends this reading uh, in God's word. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, our 
God in heaven, we uh, praise you and we give you thanks. We thank you for your marvelous word. We thank you, Lord, that in your mercy and kindness, you have told us what awaits the people of God. Lord, it is a vision like this and the assurance of the reality behind this vision which inspires us and enables us to persevere in this life. Lord, our God, we need to grasp this truth of the future that yet awaits so that we might live faithfully in our own day. So come by your Holy Spirit, make your word alive to us today. We pray in Jesus' name, Uh, amen. When many people think about heaven, uh, they think of it as an amazing place. Maybe kind of like uh, the coolest place that you've ever gone on vacation, whether to the beach or the mountains or to another country, but then you know, kind of multiply that by about a million. Heaven is indeed a wonderful place. Uh, It will be extraordinary. We will live in a renewed creation no longer tainted by the corruption and miseries of the fall. It will be amazing. But you know, the real glory of heaven lies in something other uh, than the place. It is, first of all, who we will be with. That profound, intimate fellowship that we will have with the triune God. That is what will make it amazing. But second of all, it's being amazing is in what we will become. Because what we read in the scriptures is that We will be the bride. We are God's treasure, His fully transformed, beautified people, the special recipients of His love, those who are shining forth with the radiance of His glory. To be in heaven is to be fully redeemed, to be the Lord's prized possession, to be that body of people who will everlastingly display the glories and the wonders of His grace. Those, above all else, are the amazing things about that eternal state. Now, the first of those points, the fellowship that we will enjoy with God, uh, will be the focus of next week's sermon, beginning in verse 22. But that second point, uh, the beauty of Christ's glorified church, well, that is the focus of this week's text, in verses 9 through 21. This really gets us to a key point of interpretation in these verses that we just looked at. And it is this, that in describing the new Jerusalem, John is not describing a literal city that falls from the skies. Rather, this passage, like the rest of the book of Revelation, is highly symbolic. It uses the symbolism of the city to describe the perfected, glorified church of Jesus Christ. The new Jerusalem is the church. Okay, did did you get the language? This angel comes and gives John a vision and says, what you are going to see 
is the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We learned about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who is it that is going to be married to the Lamb on that final day? It is the redeemed church. And so the angel says, come, look at the bride, and then in showing us the bride, it shows us this holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So this is not so much in these verses describing a place, but rather it is describing what the church of Jesus Christ will be. In other words, one commentator has said, we are not spectators of this vision. Wow, won't this city be amazing? But rather, we are the spectacle itself. This is describing us. This is our future. This is what we will be. We are the bride of Christ. The holy city of God which will come down from heaven on that past on that future day. You know, if I could if I could meet with you one on one and if I had the uh, prophetic abilities, I was able to tell you exactly what you are going to be like 10 years from now. You would probably be all ears. You'd kind of be interested. What am I going to be 10 years from now? Well, dear friends, today I am going to tell you what you are going to be when the Lord Jesus Christ returns out of heaven and then for age upon age, world without end, forever. This is what the Lord says, dear people of God, you will be. So let's look at this vision uh, together. What is it that makes the glorified church so beautiful? We want to talk about five different things. First of all, the church's origin. Secondly, the church's inhabitants. Thirdly, the church's foundations. Fourthly, the church's security. And fifth, the church's glory. What makes the glorified church so beautiful? The church's origin, inhabitants, foundations security, and glory. Let's look at each of these five things in turn out of this vision today. First of all, what makes the glorified church so beautiful? Well, it is, first of all, the church's origin. Uh, We read in verse 10 that the angel carries John away in the spirit to a great high mountain and then shows him. And what is it that he sees Well, he sees the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Well, why does the church descend from God? Well, it is uh, the angel's way of saying it is because the church belongs to God. The church is God's new creation. It is His church. It was His church when He elected His people to salvation from all eternity. It was His church when He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die and redeem these people from sin and from death. It was His church 
when He united them to Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, giving them Christ's life. It is His church when He indwells them by the Holy Spirit of God. The church is God's church. You know, why does West Springfield Covenant Community Church exist? Why are we here? How do we explain where we came from? Well, if I had to ask you that question, you might, you might say to me, well, you see, there was this man, Pastor Lavalle, and he went down, he was called to ministry, and then he went down to Mississippi, and he received seminary training, and then a church in Mississippi uh, helped to send him back up to Massachusetts to plant uh, the furthest north PCA congregation in the entire nation back in about 1978. And the church was established about 1980. And there are many of you who could give the history much better than me. And that would be an accurate explanation. But there's even a more fundamental reason why West Springfield Covenant Community Church exists. And that more fundamental reason is it is the sovereign grace of Almighty God. It is that God in His infinite mercy has come and has changed the hearts of a group of dead, lost sinners in this region of the country. And He has made us new creations in Jesus Christ. And He has brought us together in a fellowship that is not based on any human distinctions, but is based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is Him that we share in common. That is why this church exists. And dear friends, when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again, and the whole of the church triumphant is revealed from heaven to fill the new heavens and the new earth, this one fact will be so abundantly clear on that day, it is that this is His work. The church is His church. Redeemed by Him. It's not a a mere human institution or society. Here is Christ's beloved bride. The object of God's mercies. I I love Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 7 when it talks there about our salvation in Jesus Christ. And it it tells us this. It says, Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let me just pause for a moment. What that has just described is that act of regenerating power by the Holy Spirit when we are become new creatures in Jesus Christ, no longer dead in our sin and transgression, but now made alive by His sovereign grace, raised with Christ, seated with Christ, but unto what end? Verse 7, don't forget verse 7. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He saves us so that for age upon endless age, 
he might continue to show us that it is all of his grace. We are his body by his grace. The object of his special love and of his care. So if the church's origins are from above, uh, it reminds us, dear friends, that you and I exist here because of the sovereign grace of God alone. And so how is the church built? It's not built through clever marketing techniques. It's not built through becoming uh, more relevant or changing our message or our church culture to make it more acceptable to unredeemed people. These things might bring in more people, but it's not how people are brought from death to life. Rather, how is the church of Jesus Christ ultimately built? It is when God sovereignly saves His people and builds them up in faith and holiness through the preaching and teaching of the gospel. It is His work. The church is His work. And that tells us here, dear friends, the church's origin. That's part of the beauty of the church. The church's origin. Secondly, what makes the glorified church beautiful? Secondly, it is the church's inhabitants. Now by this phrase, I struggle to know how to describe this. What, I'm, what I mean here is, who is included in the New Jerusalem? Who are the citizens of this city? Of whom does the church consist? Here, uh, this vision tells us some things about this. I want you to notice, uh, first of all, in verse 12, it speaks there of 12 gates. Now, this city has a high wall with 12 gates. Well, what is the purpose of a gate? The purpose of a gate is to come in. And in verse 13, we are told that these gates are arranged so that there are three gates to the east, three to the north, three to the south, and three uh, to the west. Every direction, uh, there's a gate. And there are angels at these gates, perhaps representing uh, uh, the kind of the preaching of the gospel. But the idea is this, is that this city consists of those who have come into it through the preaching of the gospel from every direction. It's consistent, is it not, with what we read elsewhere in Revelation, that the redeemed will consist of a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And we go on to read that the dimensions of this city that are described are absolutely immense. Verse 16 tells us that the length is the same as the width which is the same as the height, and all of them are 12,000 stadia. Now that's about 1,500 miles in every direction. Now, again, this is a symbolic number, but it does seem to indicate by the choice of this number that this will be a very big city, that those that are saved will be many, that it's not just a little village, but rather it is filled with a an innumerable company of the redeemed. Which again is what we would read elsewhere in a place like Revelation 7. But then we're told another thing about these gates. That is, verse 21 tells us that at each gate, there was a single pearl. 
Now, in the ancient world, pearls were a costly, costly, more costly than any uh, precious stone. I mean, you can think of that parable. Do, do you not? The parable of the, the pearl of great price, where the pearl is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this could be here in Revelation 21, be indicating that the only way into any of these gates is through that costly pearl, uh, the Lord Jesus. It may be that that's what it means. Uh, perhaps it would certainly be the teaching of the rest of the scripture, is it not? Think of a passage like John 10, where Jesus says that he is the gate. It is through him only that the sheep come into uh, the fold. And so the teaching here uh, seems to be clear that the kingdom of heaven here, this church, it's, well, it's going to consist of people of every background, every culture, every language coming in from every direction. And it will consist of many from each of these peoples pressing into the kingdom. And it tells us that whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever your language, whatever your culture, you even now are invited in, but there is only one way in, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way of entry. But then when we come into this city, when we are part of it, there is only one redeemed people of God. You then are a full-fledged citizen of this kingdom. There aren't tiers or levels or classes. Did you notice that, uh, that it's both the 12 tribes of Israel... Uh, that are written on the gates, which represent the people of God in the Old Testament, but then it's also the twelve apostles, which are written on the foundations, which represent the church of the New Testament. Together, one people of God, consisting of all of those redeemed by the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. What a city this is. The inhabitants of it. Those from around the world, saved by sovereign grace, by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, brought in. So we have seen this city's origins. We've seen the church's inhabitants. Thirdly now, very briefly, the church's foundations. The church's foundations. We read of this in verse 14. That the wall of the city had uh, 12 foundations. On them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of uh, the Lamb. Just for a moment, I want you to put yourself in John's shoes who received this vision. There he is in exile on the island of Patmos, lonely, perhaps tempted to despair. The Lord gives him this vision of this new Jerusalem, and there he sees on one of those twelve foundation stones his own name written one of the twelve apostles, the only one still living. His name is written there uh, in this uh, kingdom. And it reminds us of other passages which speak of uh, the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 and verse uh, uh, 20 and 21 come to mind. Uh, there we read uh, that the church of Christ is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together 
grows into a holy temple uh, in the Lord. And so the church has this foundation laid, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone, built on the apostles and prophets, Ephesians says, here in Revelation 21, that apostolic testimony stands at the very foundation of the church. And it does remind us, as we are part of the church today, that we are building on that foundation which has already been laid. We don't lay another. There's no new teaching. There's no new message that is proclaimed. There's no new religion. It doesn't change from one era to the next, but rather it is the one church of Christ built upon that apostolic foundation that is being built. So the church's foundation. Fourthly, though, let's move on. Here we see something of the church's security. The fourth beautiful thing about the church is the church's security. You look in verse 12, we are told that this church had a great high wall. And again in verse 17, he measured its wall. 144 cubits, that would be 72 yards by human measurement, which is also angelic measurement, it says. We don't know whether this is referring to how high the wall is, most likely, or how, or how uh, thick it was. We can't be sure. But again, it mean, the number is symbolic. It's a symbolic number. 144, uh, 12 by uh, 12, it just means here that the glorified people of God are utterly and completely secure. That's the purpose of a wall. It was the security of a city. Ancient cities were built with walls. Here the New Jerusalem is described as having a wall. What a beautiful thought. Forever in glory, we will be utterly and completely secure from every foe. How much of our lives now are plagued by a sense of insecurity? The possibility of tornadoes, hurricanes, and earthquakes. The threat of nuclear war. The threat of cyber attacks. (laughs) kind of financial volatility. We're constantly worried and concerned if we have enough money to make it the next year or the year after. The possibilities of a pandemic or of just a sudden dreadful disease in our own life uh, that would suddenly come upon us. The instability of politics. With each election, we are filled with fear over who might be elected into office and what this might mean for us or for our nation. There's a kind of insecurity associated with poverty or with moving or immigration, insecurity about the environment in which we live. Dear friends, there is worry and concern that we as Christians that we have about the devil and all of his scheming and and what he's trying to do. And the list could go on and on, could it not? Of all the things that, we, that we're concerned about. Now, now, the good news of the Gospel is uh, that despite these vulnerabilities that we have, that, dear friends, even in this life, we are secure. 
Uh, the Lord promises to never leave us or forsake us, but to preserve us through faith for that salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so none of the dangers of this world touch us apart from the sovereign hand of Almighty God. Do you know that sometimes in this life, it is the Lord's purpose that we would be touched by many of these dangers? And that leads us to trust in Him, to trust in His good purposes, to live every moment, every day uh, by faith as we live under His care in this world. But the good news that this passage presents us with is that there is soon coming a day when all of those things that I just listed will be no more. Can you imagine a life where you're no longer going to be vulnerable to any of those things? To disease, to having an empty bank account, where you're going to be free from the influences of the devil, where just the ups and downs of life, that, that the longer you're going to have that. We have this promise, dear friend, that there is soon coming a life without any of these miseries. As the hymn says, no chilling winds or poisonous breath can reach that healthful shore. Sickness and sorrow, pain and death are felt and feared no more. A part of the beauty of this glorified church is the church's security. But now, fifth and finally, can I say most importantly, before we finish with a couple points of application, is this. In what does the glorified church's beauty consist? Well, it is the church's glory. The church's glory. Look with me at verse 11. As soon as he sees the holy city come down out of heaven from God, immediately he is told this. This city has the glory of God. Its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. That is, it is the church of Jesus Christ which will everlastingly reflect and display and as it were be the prism through which the glory of God is going to be seen and known. That it is the glory of God is primarily going to be manifest in His fully redeemed church. You look with me back at chapter 4 and verse 3. Or we'll look at that in a moment. Let me just go on. Verse 18. Actually, look with me down at verse 18. It goes on to say uh, that... um, I'm sorry, not verse 18, but verse 16. Verse 16. That the city, this city lies four square. Its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Did you notice that? This city is a perfect cube. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles is the picture that we're given. Why a cube? Why a perfect cube? I wonder if you can think of anything else 
very prominent in the Old Testament that would have been a perfect cube. And it was the Holy of Holies within the tabernacle and within the temple. Much smaller in its dimensions, 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. But what did that Holy of Holies represent? Well, it represented the presence of God among His people. It was a a place of complete sacredness. It could only be entered by the high priest and him only once a year. It was God dwelling in that place. And here we are told, in a sure reflection of that tabernacle, that in this immense version, that the glorified church will be nothing less than the Holy of Holies itself, the place of God's dwelling. To be entered not only by the high priest, but by every believer who is a priest unto God. The whole of the redeemed church is going to be that tabernacle. And that's why it's said back in verse 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And again, as we're going to look at next week in verse 23, that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. We are going to be so filled with the dwelling of God, the presence of God, the glory of God, that we are going to be resplendent. No sun is going to be needed. Friends, that's the reason that we see, I think, throughout this description of the New Jerusalem, so many references to various precious stones and precious metals. Back in chapter 4 and verse 3, here we'll get to that, chapter 4 and verse 3, when, we, when the glory, the heavenly glory of God was described, what is God like on His throne? And in trying to communicate the greatness of His glory to us, it says in verse 3 that He who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. It, that language being used to convey, it, it's, it's, it's beauty, it's It's glory that is indescribable to you and to me. And now, after describing that as the glory of God, here in chapter 21, we look at what is the church like. We are told that this church has radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Or again in verse 15, that the rod to measure the city was a rod of gold. Or verse 18, that the wall was built of jasper and the city pure gold. Gold that is impossible to have in this life. Gold that is as clear as glass. And then, beginning at verse 19, it describes the foundations of the wall being adorned with every kind of jewel. And it gives us a list of all of these jewels which each one was a a slightly different color. Uh, Together it would have been a beautiful uh, rainbow, a a panoply of color and of radiance and and of beauty. What a picture this is. And so this glory that, that describes the glory of God is here given to the church. The church is the display of the glory of God uh, for all eternity. You know, in our own world here, earthly kingdoms like to uh, display their wealth 
with brilliant gold and diamonds and other costly metals. If you go to Britain, you can there go and see the crown jewels and walk by them, and it, they are magnificent. They're absolutely magnificent. Or if you go to France and you, went, you go into, into Versailles and you see gold everywhere that you look. And what do these jewels say? These jewels tell us something about the, the glory of the nation whose they are. Dear friends, this is saying that you and I are the jewels of Almighty God. That in our fully redeemed condition, that we are, as it were, going to be shouting uh, and displaying magnificently the glory of the God whose we are. We are His treasure. We are going to be those who reflect the greatness of His glory uh, for ever and ever. That's the promise. We shine with His glory and will shine with that glory for all eternity. Oh dear friends, what a glorious future is ours as the church of Jesus Christ. The beauty of the glorified bride. But before we close, let me just give a couple of points of application then. What does this mean for you and for me? Two different things I want to say. First of all, first of all, let me exhort you to love the church of Jesus Christ. To love the church of Jesus Christ. That's what's being described for us. Now, our experience of the church sometimes in this life is filled with various uh, trials and, and difficulties. The church sometimes today seems ordinary and perhaps unattractive. Sometimes it is filled with discord and there is distrust. Uh, ministers of the Gospel fall into sin. Some people who have attached themselves to the church live the lives of hypocrites. Perhaps you have been hurt by the church, by harsh words that were spoken. Perhaps it seems that the, the church is ineffective, that the preaching may at times leave much to be desired. You may struggle with various aspects of the, of the life of the church. You may find it difficult to build friendships within the church. And for all of these reasons, sometimes the church seems like a very difficult place. But friends, you need to see what the Lord is saying here that this same church, not a different one, the same church which now seems often unattractive and difficult is the church in which the Lord is working and He is going to beautify and glorify in all of the ways that we have just described. And so if the Lord is doing that in His church, we need to love the church of Jesus Christ. We need to devote ourselves to the church, to give ourselves to Christ's beautiful bride. One of the signs, one of the surest signs that we truly love God is that we love that which God loves. And God loves His church. 
supremely. And so there is no such thing as a churchless Christian. A Christian who says, yes, I love God, but I have no place for the church. I don't need to go to church. I don't need the ministry of the Word. I'm making it fine on my own. Well, then you're not loving what the Lord supremely loves. He loves His church. And we need to love His church too. And it means that we need to devote ourselves to the church's worship, the weekly gatherings, that we come not just in body only and endure an hour and a half of a worship service, but that we give ourselves heart and soul to the worship of God, that we're engaged. It means that we bear one another's burdens within the body of Christ, that we pray for one another. It means that we contribute whatever gifts the Lord has given us to the life and ministry of the church. That we aren't content kind of to sit on the outskirts, sort of with one foot in and one foot out, but rather, even as the Lord loves the church, that we would dedicate ourselves to this body, that we would consider the church to be an institution more important than any of the other activities or things that we may be involved in. It's not just one thing among many. This is Christ's beautiful bride. For her, for her, our tears shall fall. For her, our prayers ascend. As the hymn writer says, we ought to love the church of Jesus Christ. Can I just simply ask you very pointedly, do you love the church of Christ? And if you say, and you examine your own heart, maybe I don't love the church as much as I ought to. And I just encourage you to love it more. And one of the ways that you can love it more is to see what the Lord is making his church to be. Look at the church in glory. Set your eyes upon that and realize that that is the same as this. This body is going to be that in glory. And so we ought to love the church now, even as we will love it then. Do we love the church of Jesus Christ? Second point of application is this. Second thing I want to say is, dear friends, when we consider the beauty of Christ's glorified church, it should make us so thankful for God's redeeming love for us in Jesus Christ. We're going to sing in just a few moments a hymn that says, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Isn't that what we've just read? This glorified, redeemed church, what is it but a bunch of hell-bent sinners that the Lord has sovereignly saved by His grace? And He has done it in His great love. Why did Jesus come to the earth? It was to make wretches like us His treasure for all eternity. Oh, what infinite love. Oh, how we owe all to the redeeming love of our God. Oh, doesn't it make you adore Him and praise Him? He would go to such lengths to save you. 
and to save you, not just barely getting you by, but to make you a wretch, His bride, His treasure for all eternity. Oh, to be a part of this new Jerusalem. Oh, praise the Lord for His grace. Pray to God. The Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for your redeeming love. Thank you for making sinners like us your treasure. Lord, make us to look forward to that day when we shall be that new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The Lord our God, help us now to live in light of these realities. We pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.